episode 107 of the Canuck Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, we got a fun little two-game flight, so let's get into it. The Canucks headed over to Long Island and came away with a 4-3 victory against the New York Islanders. Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, Connor Garland each had two points. But the story of the night was Nils Hoglander and Vasily Podkolzin each netting the game-tying and game-winning goals. Yeah, those beauties. Canucks then head over to Toronto, and wouldn't you know it, a season sweep over the Leafs. 2-0 against the Leafs with a 6-4 victory. This is a back-and-forth affair. It was 1-0 Canucks, 3-1 Canucks, 4-3 Leafs. Ended up with three unanswered, including an empty netter by Mott in the third. A balanced score sheet, but most importantly, the Canucks beat the Leafs. And Doug, I don't get tired of saying that one bit. No, I mean, I was in Toronto. Uh, I didn't end up going to the game, but yeah, it, it was a great game. Unfortunately, I was actually at the uh, MLS game that day in Toronto, and it was freezing, completely freezing cold. Um, but I definitely caught the highlights. Uh, I listened to the post game on the radio. And yeah, man, I mean, when you get the season sweep against the Leafs, it's always a good thing. And it's, it's, it's been a long time. I think they said it's been about 11 years since they won in that building. And when we last uh, recorded, we were coming off that game against the Devils, which we don't really like talking about. But around there now, the Canucks have won five of their last six games now, besides that Devils mishap. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Canucks, it's just the way they've lost some of the games recently, right? Where yeah, true. They, they had that big win against Calgary, the and then the big win against the Rangers, and then a massive letdown against the Devils. And it was just like, yeah, the way they're losing. And then obviously they had that Anaheim debacle a couple of weeks back, and right. it was another another bad loss that they had. So it's just it's been really hard to kind of get a read on this team. Yeah, there was that Islanders game a little while ago. But yeah, it, it, like the losses seem to be really bad losses. Like I'm just going back here through the February calendar. And the last one that was kind of a close one was that Nashville game on the 1st of, of February. And then otherwise, there's that 6-3 debacle to the Isles, the 7-4 to the Ducks, and the 7-2 to the Devils. But around that, it's it's wins. So they are they are winning a lot of their games. And we're going to get into a lot of that this episode. we got a, a lot of different things coming up that we're going to talk about. Um, definitely lots of Canucks talk where they are in the standings, what they should do leading into the, the trade deadline, which is now only 13 days away. We're recording on March 8th, so this will be released on March 9th. Uh, but first of all, Doug, how's things? You, like you said, you're still in Toronto and you said it was freezing. I mean, over here we got blossoms coming in. It's sunny, it's 12 degrees. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm riding my bike without gloves on. It's, it's been pretty gorgeous over here. It's honestly, the weather here has been crazy. So Sunday, it was freezing, like to the point when we're watching the MLS game, it was the uh, Toronto FC against the New York Red Bulls. It was so cold and windy. I couldn't feel my, my arms, my legs, or my face. The very next day, there was like gale storm winds again, but it was like 15 degrees. It was like super warm out on Sunday. And then Monday, it was cold again. Today, it was freezing again. It's just, yeah, the, the weather in Ontario or Toronto specifically in the GTA has just been all over the map. Well, time for you to get back home soon, man. It's uh, It's been nice over here. Uh, Look, people are 
out. There's a bit of life in the city. Like, uh, man, I think it's going to be a good year. I'm feeling it. I hope so, man. I mean, I think uh, even here, you know, they've gotten rid of the vaccine passports. You still, masks are mandatory and everywhere you go. But, you know, it's just, you can tell that there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel here. And, you know, we should hopefully be in for a really normal summer. I mean, and just a normal summer, I think, is all any of us really want. I'll take it. I'll take that little bit of normalcy. Also, March 8th, International Women's Day. Doug, uh, anyone you want to give a shout out to? Um, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I'd love to give a shout out to my fiance, Grace. She was actually here uh, about eight days ago now and was visiting me in Toronto. It was really nice to see her and spend time with her. Um, and we haven't touched on the music just yet from last week, but I am doing the editing on this episode and I've got a female vocalist that I am going to be spotlighting in today's outro track as well. What about you, Pete? Is there any special ladies you'd like to give a shout out to? Uh, you know, I'd just say hi to my mom and my sister and my, my niece. Um, but yeah, that's about it. And just everyone else out there, you know, in our crew of friends, Doug, we got a lot of cool women. So shout out to all of them. I know none of them listen to us, I don't think. Uh, maybe the odd exception. But uh, if they do, hey, you're awesome as well. Um, but yeah, just uh, definitely definitely those three in my, my family to, to give the shout out to. Yeah, I mean, my fiance has told me she only ever listens to the free poor segment of the podcast. But I'm like, <laughs> hey, man, if that counts as a listen, I'm all for it. There she goes. She's bumping our numbers up. I uh, like it. Just listen yeah. to the last five minutes and uh, maybe let it run out. And that, that should count as a play. So bump our stats up a bit. Just like just like Louis Erickson and Tanner Pearson into the empty net there. Yeah, I mean, Tanner Pearson, I mean you got to give the guy credit man he's been on a bit of a roll lately too and it's a it's really nice solid yeah Yeah, he's been solid i uh i thought especially in that toronto game uh he's just doing everything and like you know i know a lot of people don't like tanner pearson's contract but i mean the way he's playing it's not that bad really like i mean 3.25 yeah that came in a little bit high he's 29 years old but i think for what you're getting for him he you're not taking a loss on that hit right now are you well, I'll tell you what, and I know there's a bit of an age gap between these two players. I would rather be paying Tanner Pearson $3.25 million than Jared McCann $5 million over the next five or six years, whatever that deal came in at. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think that's the first player that they've re-signed in Seattle, a five-year, $25 million deal for former Canuck Jared McCann. So, uh, I mean, Tanner Pearson, I think, is a very serviceable player, um, and we'll certainly be chatting about him as among many other players uh, a little bit later on yeah and pete i mean obviously there was some huge news that broke this morning you actually broke it to me and you are a big seahawks fan so you're the one who would be best to chime in on this topic uh russell wilson is now going to the mile high it's crazy you You know what i was realizing well you know what i was realizing today is did the Colorado Rockies draft Russell Wilson as well? Like, I know he was drafted by someone. I think it was the Rockies. So he's like, uh, he already had a Denver connection, and now he's playing over there. Um, anyways, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Look, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I've seen people go either way with this trade. Uh, as a Seahawks fan, I actually am okay with it. Of course, a lot always depends on the return that you, uh, what you, these draft picks actually end up being. Uh, Seattle 
over the last while, kind of like the Canucks, they haven't had a lot of first rounders or when they do, they trade them down. Uh, so now you're kind of stockpiling up a bit and I'm sure they're going to be looking at quarterbacks with them. Um, I like Noah Fant uh, as well. Um, I'm not really, a, uh, I don't think Drew Locke's going to be the starter, but uh, you, you never know. I mean, he's they, I don't know what exactly what the plans are there, but Russell Wilson is, is getting on there. I, I think he's 33 now. And uh, I just, I wasn't, overly impressed with him last year now again Seattle's offensive line was not very good and their running game was pretty bad once Carson went down but uh, I'm not totally opposed to this I mean there's a good chance that they were going to lose him in a year or two or whenever his contract was up anyways for nothing so you get all these draft picks back for him like I'm kind of okay with it yeah I mean there's been a lot of smoke around Russell Wilson and Seattle I think I get Seahawks fans being a little bit upset. My opinion on the matter is if you're getting rid of Wilson, I think it's time to turn the page on Pete Carroll as well, in my opinion. Uh, Pete Carroll's the old, oldest coach in the NFL. I believe he's like 76 or 77. He doesn't look a day over no. 60. Like he's in great shape. But I just think if you're going to make that big of a shift in your organization, I think you also need to change kind of philosophies in, in regards to coaching and game planning. And yeah, I mean, uh, right now you've got two top tier wide receiver weapons in Seattle, but who's going to get them the ball? I, I, I would imagine, you know, they're going to want, if they don't draft a quarterback this year, because I've heard, and again, I haven't done a ton of research, but I've heard that this isn't the best draft class no, for quarterbacks. It's not. You know, do you go out and maybe trade for a Jimmy G? I mean, Carson Wentz has been let go in indianapolis mitch trubisky is out there i mean again none of these guys are guys that you're gonna you know think gonna take you to the promised land it's like our waiver wire uh, looking at the fantasy football waiver wire right there yeah i mean who knows maybe danny dimes in uh new york the giants you know daniel jones maybe he's uh on the trade block or something like that but yeah, I, I was shocked. I mean, I know there was a lot of rumors, and this kind of ties into Aaron Rodgers also re-signed with the Packers today, and I think that had a lot to do with it as well because there was a lot of rumors that he could end up in Denver as the new coach used to be the offensive coordinator for the Packers, so that made sense. But Rodgers is committed to Green Bay, and within seemingly a couple of hours of that no- news breaking, Russell Wilson is on his way to the Denver Broncos. Yeah, he stole all of Rogers' thunder there. That was a huge trade. Wasn't expecting that. Um, it is going to be curious. Like Seattle had a lot of holes in their game, and they're in a, a very tough division. Uh, there is a good chance that they could go 0-6 against their division rivals next year with uh, the current roster that they have. So I, I don't know. Maybe Maybe it's a bit of a rebuild now in Seattle, and if that's the case, you're right. Maybe you look at trading uh, guys like Lockett and Metcalf as well and – Maybe Carroll goes after this year. Uh, Maybe it's uh, just kind of really the end of that era. I mean, Pete Carroll is really uh, kind of the last one, I think, uh, or one of the last ones from all that. So it's, uh, yeah, it was certainly uh, surprising. I was on a work call and I I got off and I had all these notifications. I'm like, oh, my God, Russell. Yeah, I mean, now Russell Wilson is in a division that has Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and and Derek Carr so yeah that's a pretty that's a pretty tough division and those are all I mean Derek Carr I think is arguably one of the more underrated and undervalued quarterbacks in the NFL um, 
that's a tough division they're in now. And I'm not yeah. that, you know, the division he was just in, it wasn't tough either, but yeah. And Denver's got some good receivers and they got a pretty good D as well. So um, they're going to be right in there. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, that was some certainly surprising news coming out of the NFL today. Yeah, man. And also you edited the last episode and again, it was the final chapter in us honoring black history month with the outro track do you want to tell us a little bit more about that really cool jam they used last week for the outro track and a little bit about that album in general it was a long track as well oh dude yeah yeah i remember uh you when we uh, finished recording you're like oh i'm sorry it's uh we went a little bit long i'm like don't worry i got this one i got this one covered i knew i was going <laughs> to use something from this album so the band is samande and this is their self-titled album i think it came out in 1973 if i remember um it was uh, they're a british funk group but none of the members were born in the uk they were born in jamaica guiana and saint vincent so they kind of have this afro-caribbean soul funk to them and it's one of those albums that's just like it's a start to finish album and there's there's not a bad beat on it and around like between like 2005 and 2007 or so, I was really into like kind of finding out where samples came from. And I really kind of fell down all these little rabbit holes and mixes and stuff trying to find samples. And Samandi came up uh, a few times, but not for that song uh, specifically, but for a couple other songs um, that I recognized from as soon as I heard. I'm like, oh, that's Jungle Brothers or oh, that's De La Soul. Uh, and this track is being sampled too. The one, uh, the track's called Dove, uh, which actually the band name apparently means Dove as well. And uh, I know it was sampled by the Fugees, by uh, Wu-Tang Clan. Um, I got someone else here, uh, EPMD. They also uh, sampled this track. So it's been sampled by a few people as well. An incredible band, though. Like, that album is so damn good. That track, Dove, is 11 minutes long. uh, And it just builds and chills and builds and chills. And it's just got that real Caribbean Afrobeat feel to it. They're just such a unique sound. And uh, one of my favorite funk bands uh Samande. they that album again their self-titled album just just stellar start to finish stellar i remember in the way back long time ago when we would uh both be going into the office at work uh you would put that album on quite a few times and uh yeah i always really liked it and i'd always be like oh what are we listening to and yeah, it's got a really cool album artwork, very like distinctive album artwork as well. And yeah, man, I, I really like that track. And talking about samples, I think the outro track that I've already selected in my head for this episode, it's it's one of those ones you're like, oh, yes, I know this. Um, cool. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you and all the listeners out there to hear it once we get there as well. Cool. I love that stuff. I love finding records and songs and being like, oh, that's where they got it from, or that, like, you know, I can remember, uh, I can remember, like, a uh, one where I found, uh, like, the beat from Juicy by Biggie. I was just like, oh, this is, like, just out of nowhere. I just found it, like, flipping through, like, listening to a record. I'm like, whoa, there it is. Like, cool. Who would have thought? But I always love that stuff. I find it really interesting. And that era is gone now because you can't really do that without paying huge fees now. But back in, like, the golden age of hip-hop, 87 to 93, Everyone was just sampling everything. And uh, Samande, there's a couple tracks on there, Bra and Zion in particular, that were sampled quite a bit. Um, And again, if you listen to any hip-hop in that era, there's definitely going to be something on this album that you recognize. Um, A few other things. 
should get in our Twitter plugs here as well. Uh, you can follow me. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canuck Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to check out the playlist that Pete and I were just pumping up. It's the Canuck Speakeasy outro playlist. You can find that on Spotify. Another funky jam will be added to that playlist at the end of this episode. So, Doug, just before we dive into all the Canuck stuff, uh, just a couple of quick hockey tidbits from Europe uh, and, uh, and I guess, uh, around the league as well pertaining to the Canucks or former Canucks. Um, just the KHL. Have you been following what's going on in the KHL much since uh, the attack on Ukraine? I know a few teams have pulled out and there have been a few, I guess, light sanctions that have kind of happened to Russia. Um some of them, I think, I, I know some young players, some young born Russian players have kind of been hurt by some of these sanctions. And I, I don't think that's fair to them. Um, unfortunately, they're just, you know, a victim of circumstance. Uh, the other news is he who we shall not say I saw was released from his KHL team. I guess mm-hmm. he has got a pending um, court case coming up, which makes sense. Uh, former Canuck, you guys can fill in the blanks there. So I did see that he was released from his KHL team, but no, I haven't followed any of the other news that has potentially been happening over there. No, you pretty much nailed it. Former Canucks Marcus Granlund and Philip Larson as well have left their teams. Um, and this is all just because of the situation with Russia. So they've all left. But yeah, the the two teams, uh, Jokerit and uh, Dinamo Riga, so a team in Finland and a team in Latvia, uh, pulled out of the playoffs. So I'm not exactly sure how that works because all of a sudden now the other teams don't have an opponent. And uh, I know it's thrown uh, some serious monkey wrenches in there. There's a lot of talk that Jokrit may not rejoin the KHL. I know that when they left Finland, there was a lot of people in Finland who were pretty unhappy about that. So this may spark the return of Finland to the Finnish league, which uh, I think would be pretty cool. But yeah, just, uh, you know, some former Canucks, uh, not just them, a lot of other players, uh, not playing in Russia, leaving Russia. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this league down the line, if they become kind of more isolated or insular. And also, you know, we talk about Russian free agents and uh, coming over here, but if that's actually going to happen. Well, and I've seen a couple of people, I want to say Elliot Friedman and maybe Frank Saravelli tweet about a couple of players playing in the KHL right now whose contracts are going to be done when this playoff round is or this playoff series is over in the KHL and they're potentially headed over to North America. And I wonder if this what's happening between Russia and Ukraine at the moment will affect that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's even players that are probably, you know, this is their final contract year in the KHL and they're looking to make the jump over to North America after lighting it up in the KHL for the last couple of years. And does this now prevent them from being able to do that? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. I don't know enough about the ins and the outs, but I know the Canucks, I mean, died to some Russian players. So we'll have to see. But uh, I'm also curious to see how this affects the draft. Uh, if we're going to have something again, like what I like to call the the Tarasenko effect. Because you remember, like, and, and really, Pod Colson did this too. Um, but maybe slightly different circumstances. But I remember when Tarasenko was drafted, he just kept falling and falling and falling because no one wanted to touch Russians that year because that was in the... The I think those are the earlier stages of the K when they were really trying to recruit players over there. Kucherov is another perfect example of a guy that fell, and uh, most people thought he was True, heading into yeah. that draft was a top five talent in that draft year, and I think he fell to the mid 
teens, if I'm correct. Um, and Tarasenko, like you said, I think he was, what, the 17th overall pick in his yeah, draft? It's, it's around there in Vasilevsky, now that you mentioned it. I think he was around 20th. Yeah. I mean, goalies have been a little bit undervalued in drafts for probably the last decade and a half. But, yeah, it's a great point. And it was already a bit of a risk with NHL teams selecting players out of Russia because of the KHL. And I wonder, like you said, if this, you know, makes it even more difficult for those players to get drafted because... I believe there was, I believe the CHL said they weren't going to allow any imports from Russia this upcoming CHL draft, which I don't think is fair to those young kids. I mean, these are 16, 17 year old kids that, you know, that, I mean, I, I don't think that's fair, but, you know, now that affects those players being able to come to North America early and start their playing career and potentially bypass going to the KHL. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to have a trickle down effect for sure. It's interesting. I'm glad that we got Pod Colson over here now, though, because uh, I know there'd be a lot of hand wringing and and people trying to figure out what to do about that. Otherwise, so at least we have Pods here. Um, another speaking of another first round pick by the Canucks, Olio Levy. Very quietly, I think, is uh, at least quietly for me because I was still basking all weekend in a beer glow from the Canucks in the Leafs game, and just uh, I, I I pretty much was just high off of that all weekend and then I, I went and checked my squads just kind of did a Twitter scroll on Sunday night and I saw Olio Levy was uh put put on waivers and picked up by the Red Wings there um so I I don't know that just kind of snuck up on me but that's uh, interesting to see that basically Florida now is nothing to show for giving up Lamico and Yulson yeah I mean Olio Levy I mean to be fair Florida did the same thing years and years ago with uh, Michael Grabner when the Canucks traded Grabner uh, there, and then they ended up uh, it was dirt for the key in the Keith Ballard trade, and they ended up putting Grabner on waivers. And Grabner's carved out a pretty successful NHL career for himself. I mean, by no means is he a Hall of Famer or a game breaker, but you know, Grabner's a good player. But yeah, I mean, at first I, I was surprised that the Panthers have given up on Yolevi as soon as they did. But I know he, one of the things with him is he just hasn't been able to stay healthy, right? That's what's really derailed a lot of the progression of his career. He suffered that knee injury. I think it was his second year after being drafted by the Canucks. And he's just never really been able to fully recover. And now he's got a chance in Detroit, Stevie Eiserman, you know, maybe he can resurrect his career or something like that. Uh, I wish, Olio Levy, all the best in his future endeavors in the NHL. But, uh, you know, it looks like he's, you know, his time in the NHL is running out sooner rather than later. A friend of the show, Dan Mackles, pointed out that because he was a top 10 pick, he's going to get a few kicks at the can, which uh, which I think is fair. But I think we're, we're I think the writing is on the wall. I think you're probably right. Hey, uh, trivia questions just on the spot here. Uh, speaking of Michael Grabner, how many NHL teams has Michael Grabner played for? Because this actually surprises me. Ooh, I feel like he's played for a lot. Um, I'm going to say 12 teams. No, you're, yeah, it's, that's pretty high. Um, but the answer is, is six teams that, that he okay. played for. Uh, but still, that's uh, that's kind of surprising. 20 games with the Canucks, and he's with the Islanders, the Leafs, the Rangers, the Devils, and the Coyotes. Uh, only He played 21 games with the Devils. I forgot he was even with the Devils, but that means he played more games with the Devils than the Canucks. So... Didn't he play for the Leafs as well? Or maybe yeah, I'm getting the Leafs were in there. No, Leafs, Leafs were in one there. Season, okay. One season with the Leafs uh, as okay. well. So, yeah, anyways, Michael Grabner, little piece of Canucks history uh, right there. Former uh, first-round pick as well by the Canucks. So back in 2006, 
um, out of An- Austria. Another Dave Nonis reach when it came to drafting. I mean, not that Grabner didn't have a good career, but you know, I think most Canuck fans think of the Dave Nonis drafting era of Patrick White, which you know, cr- kudos to Mike Gillis for turning Patrick White into. Uh, I'm drawing a mind blank here, but the the German defenseman out of San Jose who was Christian Erhoff. Erhoff, yes, but still, there was another reach. I remember watching that draft when the Canucks selected Patrick White and Bob McKenzie, oh, who's always on it, was just like, oh, you could tell he was like scrambling through his like draft rankings to find where Patrick White was. It was I'd never seen that before. Well, the Michael Grabner one that was that 06 draft was kind of a weird one. Um, there wasn't really a lot after Grabner. Uh, I mean, Trevor Lewis and Chris Stewart were uh, a few picks after, but eight picks after Michael Grabner was Claude Giroux, and then you also had a little bit later in the first round Patrick Berglund and Nick Foligno. Um, so there were a couple of guys, both Giroux and Foligno, in the next couple of weeks are going to top a thousand games. Um, so. Yeah, there's a few uh, there's a few other guys in the second round, but it, it was kind of a weird draft. Like some of the guys afterwards just didn't really get to play too much. But um, Grabner was certainly a reach. I'm trying to find here uh, the Patrick White draft year. There we go. So yeah, Patrick White at number 25, uh, one spot ahead of David Perron. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, you know, you missed out on David Perron, uh, Brendan Smith uh, as well. And then uh, later into the second round, P.K. Subban. So, yeah, again, that's not the most amazing uh, late first and second round. But that Patrick White, I'm staring at that 2007 draft. He's one of five players to never play a game in the NHL. Wow. I mean, I know P.K. has a horrible contract and he's not much of the player he used to be, but... PK still a Norris Trophy winning defenseman. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I wonder what the the Devils are going to do with him. Uh, and speaking of Devils, the Canucks are being tied to them with trade talk as well. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit of trade stuff. But before we get into that, I just wanted to give you a, a snapshot, Doug, of where the Canucks are. Um, and I'm looking at this more from a wild card standing because the Canucks are closer to a wild card spot than they are in a division spot right now. So they are six back right now of the the Vegas Golden Knights for the number three spot in this Pacific division. But they're four back of Nashville for the second wildcard spot in the West. Um, What's really interesting is like looking at the West and the East, man, it is crazy just the disparity. Like pretty much the East, the playoff teams are already set. There is a 10-point gap between eighth and ninth. In the, in the East right now. Washington is eighth. Columbus is the ninth. And they are 10 points in between them. You look at the the West here. From eight to... What are, what are the Canucks there? That's 12th. Uh, sorry, yeah, 11th. Sorry. I can't count here. Uh, between eighth and 11th, there's four points. Uh, and then you got the Jets four points behind there as well. So the Canucks are right in it. Uh, teams are catching up to them on games played. All of a sudden, the Ducks are one point ahead of the Canucks, and the Canucks have a game in hand on them. The Canucks have played the same amount of games as the Oilers and are two back of the Oilers. And we know that the Oilers have been slumping. The Oilers are 4-5-1 and one in their last 10. The Canucks are 7-3. and three. So it's not unreasonable to think that the Canucks could... Over that they have a solid week here. By the time we record again, it's not inconceivable to think that the Canucks could leapfrog the Ducks and the Oilers and be closing in on Nashville. So it begs the question, and I know we titled the last episode "Who Are We," but 
are the Canucks really going to be sellers? I know we spent for a while there. We talked a lot about trade scenarios. And, you know, for all my, like, we should trade JT Miller, I, I backed off of that. I don't think we should trade JT Miller. But what do you think is going on, Doug? Like, I mean, they're right in the playoff race. Well, I mean, I think we're going to get our answer over the course of the seven-game homestand, right? The Canucks are, this is really going to be the next seven games this is really going to make or break whether or not this team is a playoff team. And that's going to give Rutherford and the rest of the management group, you know, the final kind of decision on what they do come deadline day. And there's a lot of rumors swirling around the Canucks and it does sound like that they're probably going to make a couple of trades this deadline. I know there's a lot more speculation that Halak is willing and open to accept a trade somewhere else but obviously he wants to play and he wants to probably play for a contender how many contenders you know are going to be interested in a guy like Halak services I mean I can imagine Toronto probably could use a guy like Halak considering how poor their goaltending has been lately and obviously Edmonton well I was just going to say the Oilers and you know that's another team that you know they've got to you know kind of shit or get off the pot so to speak with uh dry saddle and mcdavid here because how many more years can you waste mcdavid like this man I've, i keep thinking about that like if the oilers miss the playoffs uh after especially after that hot start uh, do you think that there's going to be any sort of i don't know if dissent is the right word but any sort of thought from mcdavid or dry saddle like where either one of them or both of them if god forbid if you're an oilers fan but for us, it would be just like break out the popcorn, go into a management and say, we want to get, we want to trade. Like this just isn't working out. Uh, and there's a lot of pressure on Edmonton. And right now, like I said, you got the Ducks, the Canucks knocking right behind you. I should mention as well that Nashville and Dallas, who hold the two wildcard spots, they played two less games than the Canucks and the Oilers and three less games than the Ducks. So they do have games in hand on everyone. So it is going to be tough, but Man, I, I can't help but think with uh, on the Oilers' front, what if they miss and what if the, their star players say, all right, you know, that's it, I want, I want out? I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but, I, you know, how many more years has McDavid signed for, right? Is he only signed for another two, maybe three years? Because he signed that extension a while ago, I feel. Yeah, um, so. so he's got uh, four more years after this at 12 and a half. Now, Dry Saddle, man, if he wanted to trade... He's got three years left at eight and a half, which is a pretty reasonable contract for uh, a guy like Leon Drysaddle. Um, but I mean, again, McDavid's twenty-five, Drysaddle's twenty-six, and you look at those dynamic duos in uh, you know Chicago and Pittsburgh uh, are two that come to mind, and they were winning cups before that time. And I know Chicago; I think they won one with Kane and Taves on an entry-level deal, so they were really able to maximize that space, but. You know, Edmonton, they brought in Evander Kane as well now. Um, but, geez, what are, what are they going to do here? It's uh, <laughs> Their goaltending is is not good enough. Even if they make it, man, like, let's say they were to squeak into one of those two wildcard spots. Like, geez, who are you going up against? And you're going to get one of the division winners that you're going to get right now. That's Calgary or Colorado. Yeah, I mean, and both those. I mean, look, for the entertainment value of the battle of Alberta, you know, Edmonton, Calgary in the first round of the playoffs, it would be great. Yes. And I think Calgary would steamroll them to be honest. I do too. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of teams. The other team I think that there's a ton of disappointment and pressure on at the moment is the Winnipeg Jets. Yes. I think a lot of people are shocked and surprised how poorly the Jets are playing. And Connor Hollebuck has not had a good season whatsoever. No. And that's another team that is really, really kind of, you know, shocked. And I I don't mind... uh, shovel day off as their uh, GM you know I like him but he, he's a little bit too safe and he never really takes big swings at anything and you know I think it's I mean outside of the line a for Dubois trade but that was kind of like a one of those one for one kind of big trades that we started to see in the last four or five years I mean I think of obviously Subban Weber Hall Larson um not that Larson's on the level of Taylor Hall but still um so yeah, you, you look at that stuff and you're like, man, like that's another team. They don't have the pressure that Edmonton does because they don't have a player like McDavid, but they're another team that you got to look at and you got to say, Hey man, like something's got to change. And that, that, that's what we're seeing in Vancouver, right? Like I think most fans assume that this team, regardless if they make the playoffs or not, they're still need to changes do need to happen. I mean, wouldn't that mm-hmm. be something, right? If this team makes the playoffs, let's say they go on a bit of a run. Let's say they win two playoff series. Let's just hypothetically. And they don't do anything to this roster. You know, does the Jim Benning narrative change a little bit? You know, essentially it's his roster that, you know, got them, you know, as far in the playoffs as it did. I mean, I'm sure that the Jim Benning haters are going to, you know, they're going to go to their graves despising Jim Benning. And I understand whatever it's their opinion, but it would be something if this team as per constructed today actually goes on a run and makes the playoffs and makes a little bit of noise in the playoffs like we saw them do in the bubble because i actually think this team today is better than that team that was in the bubble was uh you've added guys like oel and connor garland who i think are much more effective players and you got obviously a pod colson and you've got a hoglander as well and i know hoglander struggled this this year we've talked about it but i think this team is better than that bubble team was wouldn't that be something yeah, a, a couple of things. Just first with the Jets, uh, Kyle Connor's having a lights out year over there uh, for them. But yeah, I don't know what's going on with the Jets. They're four points behind the Canucks. They have a game in hand on the Canucks. Um, yeah, the Jim Benning thing is uh, interesting because at this moment, the Canucks have still not made a move, like no moves. They haven't picked up a guy on waivers. They haven't made anyone. They haven't lost anyone to waivers. They haven't signed anyone. They haven't done anything. But the team is playing so much better. And it does make you kind of think like what like when did Travis Green expire with this team and cuz Bruce Boudreau is obviously i mean we all see it the way the team is playing is enjoyable and that was one of the big things under green it's just like it was the same things over and over the same penalty kill the same power play now again the Canucks special teams are still a struggle especially the penalty kill right now but a lot of these guys, like, I mean, I look at uh, the the line of Highmore, Lamico and Mott, the, the $2.7 million line. We have not, for the past decade, had a serviceable utility line that comes in at a good cap hit. We've always had these very kind of overpriced players who then the fans and media all turn on. There's a weight of the world on these guys, and then they eventually get run out of town or or finally just... Their, their salaries are off the books or they get bought out. We haven't had a line like this. And it's funny because that Lamico Yulson for Yul Levy trade was one of Benning's last. And it's actually looking like a pretty good trade right now. And like, look, I'm by no means a, a big Benning supporter. I think there is some moves that he made that were quite 
awful. But some of the moves right now, like that, that I know it's a little one, but that you'll levy one. Highmore for Godet, that's looking all right. And Mott and Jokinen coming in for Vanek. That's basically how that line was formed. Right now, all three of those are kind of looking like wins. I mean, Godet's played all right with Ottawa. So that's kind of like an even out at, at worst case. But it is interesting. Like, what if Benning was still here, but green was gone and it was just boudreau i won I, I mean that's just one of those maybe in the off season when we get into hypotheticals I, what ifs but it's very apparent that the culture of this team has changed since everything changed yeah i i agree i i do think that when people talk about culture and sport team sporting teams it starts from the top right and it goes all the way up to the owner and then down from the owner to the managers the presidents the gms down to the coaching staff to the you know right down to you know the training staff like it, it all is reciprocal and i do think that look i think green is a good coach but for whatever reason he lost the room and i know like you know that's kind of a cliche to say but you know, for whatever reason he was not connecting with this team or these players benning you're right has made egregious error after egregious error during his tenure he has done some good things in my opinion and i don't and you and i have talked about this at nauseum that he never got credit or has never gotten credit for the good things he's done his last trade i agree the olio levy for lamico and Juleson, that's a good trade. I, I know people still want to criticize the um, the Garland OEL trade as well. But I mean, overall, I, I think it's been a pretty good trade. If you can get the next four, five solid years out of OEL in that contract, I mean, you've already mentioned it on the podcast, Pete. It is a very friendly buyout contract those last three years. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, hopefully OEL can still play to a relatively elite level in the latter half of this contract. But I think the issue with this team and one of the issues that seem to be a problem for Benning is managing the cap properly. And it's just like, hey, I have a budget of 80 million. I'm going to spend right to the budget. And like one of the big things, and this is this is one of the things that I'm actually surprised didn't get him fired, was the Michael Furland contract. I mean, Furland literally went from, you know, a, what was it, a four-year contract they signed Furland. And he literally was on LTIR within what was it, like two weeks, a month into the season? And he's never really played a game for the Canucks. Like, okay, he's played games, but like, I don't think he's played more than maybe 12 games, maybe 16 games during his tenure for the Canucks. And the fact that they didn't have proper medical examination of him, and we'll get into this because there's a young player who's been linked to the Canucks and has Vancouver ties that we'll talk about a little bit later who's going through some pretty serious concussion issues at the moment. But just the fact that, Benning never seemed to do enough due diligence on certain things. If he liked a player, he would just fall in love with that player. And it, no matter what, right? And we saw this with the way he drafted sometimes. You know, it's like he fell in love with a guy like Jake Furtanen. He fell in love with a guy like Ole Ulevi. He fell in love with a player like Michael Furland. And it's bit this team in the ass. And even though his contract is an LTIR, it still hurts them. 14 games he's played in two in the playoffs so 16 uh in total for for michael Furlan, which i believe is what you said um you're right about culture from the top down um and 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 part of that culture was something that we had always criticized was that there wasn't enough voices when you have no buffer to ownership and we all in vancouver believe that ownership was hands-on and 
then you have Jim and John who are not very transparent with what they're doing. And now all that seems to have changed, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously we know that Jim Rutherford is not going to be here if he's just going to be an Aquilini puppet. He's That's not Jim Rutherford. He would not be taking this job. He is the buffer. He answers to Aquilini, but he's going to run the show. You bring in a lot more different voices, and that was, you're right, that was something that was a huge problem with uh, the Canucks is that there were a lot of misses. For all the hits that they got, you know, Pedersen at five, Besser when they got him, uh, the Pearson Hughes. for good Branson trade, yeah Hughes. Um, there have there there were some hits, but there were a lot of misses, and there's a lot of poorly allocated money. And this is something that we're hearing from this regime now is that okay they want to clear cap space and they want to bring in some young players. So what what is the the best move for that then? Because like like I said when we started this segment. The Canucks are still four points out of a playoff spot, and uh, there's still a lot of hockey left to be played. I believe it's, uh, what, 25 games left for the Canucks. So it's a long shot, but they still could make it. So it's not like in the East where you're at least 10 points out of a playoff spot uh, at best. But what do they do? Like, are they going to – it's 13 days away. Are they going to make a significant trade? Are they going to make a Tyler Mott trade? Are they going to make a Brock Besser trade? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen here, Doug? Well, I think there's this narrative. It's like, oh, you know, you can't trade players if you're in the hunt for a playoff spot. But I disagree with that because you can. I think you can do both. You can have that long-term thought process of like, hey, you know, we need to start restocking the cupboards and think what's going to be the best thing for this team in the next three, four years, while also still being a very competitive team and pushing for a playoff spot. Um, I, I... there's a lot of rumors swirling around the Canucks right now and a lot of their players. And I think there is talent on this team and there are players on this team that are highly coveted by other NHL teams. And, you know, one of the big rumors that's been circulating for well over a week now is Bowen Byram. And I know, you know, for a lot of people right away, Bowen Byram, like, wow, you know, like he was a kid that obviously lit it up for the Vancouver Giants. He's the first defenseman in the WHL history, history to lead the playoffs in points. Um, Bowen Byram is incredible and you know there's rumors about JT Miller going to the Colorado Avalanche because I think the Avs are feeling pressured that you know it's either this year or maybe next year is kind of their window where they have to try to win a Stanley Cup because they got some big names coming up they're going to require a lot of money and Bowen Byron's name's been up out there but one of the issues with Byron is he suffered I think two or three concussions since he started in the NHL a year ago and this last concussions really really affected him there's been a couple of articles written about it there was an article that his dad I think either Sportsnet or his dad reached out to Sportsnet and they were talking about you know Bowen Byron was saying you know he he was almost doubting whether or not he would be able to play still and they've seen several specialists Talent-wise, the kid is unreal. Like, he's up there with Quinn Hughes' level of talent. I believe he had 18 points, or maybe it was 12 points in 18 games this year, like with seven goals or something like that. He was lighting it up early for Colorado. And I know that team is stacked, and he's probably playing with guys that, you know, are perennial all-stars and what have you. But would you take that risk of trading for a player who has significant injury history? And we're not talking like knee injuries, which knees are a big deal. I mean, that's what derailed Pavel Bure's career, but like concussions, right? Concussions are a whole other ball game. And we've seen players, you know, have to retire early due to concussions. I mean, I look at, uh, 
was it Keith Primo? Keith Primo retired relatively mm-hmm. early due to concussions. Uh, Brett Lindros, and obviously he was never going to be Eric, but Brett Lindros was a guy. Eric Lindros is another yeah, guy. Yeah, I was going to say Eric early. Lindros too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so concussions, especially Paul Korea. Paul Correa, yeah, there's another great example. And the one guy, the one guy who seemed to overcome that concussion, those concussions, was Sidney Crosby. People forget Crosby dealt with some serious concussions in, you know, early, mid of his career. I mean, I think he missed the majority of an entire season, if not an entire season, due to some concussion issues. Um and he seemingly, for whatever treatment he did or whoever he went and talked to and saw, he's overcome that, which is great. Is Bowen Byram a guy who you would take a risk on by trading a guy like JT Miller for, or even a Brock Besser? I don't know if they would do it for Brock Besser, but you know, what are your thoughts on that, Pete? It's a tough one. I mean, again, before that interview a couple months ago, uh, you know, I would have been all over it, but I don't know now. You're you're taking something that has a lot of talent, but concussions are no joke. Like going back to Sidney Crosby, I, I do think a lot of people forget that there was three years in a row there where he didn't play more than 41 games in a season. There is something to be said for, I mean, you're, you're, you're getting someone who has a ton of talent who could work out. And the worst case is that you you've lost Besser for pretty much nothing. I'm using Besser as the example, but at least that frees up cap space because there is this kind of thought as well like okay the Canucks need to get some cap space out of there so it's a it's a super gamble right now uh personally um I don't think I would but I also don't know what other offers are on the table what if the other offers aren't that good and that's the best offer on the table then I would certainly consider it well I, I from all reports that I've read and seen on Twitter and you know a lot of these guys are in, dialed in when it comes to this kind of stuff the Canucks are really targeting a young defenseman, a young, elite, up-and-coming defenseman. I mean, the other name that has been bantied about that the Canucks are interested in, but apparently he's not been offered whatsoever, is Keandre Miller from the New York Rangers, which I would love that. I mean, I think that would be great. The left side would be a little bit crowded with OEL, Keandre Miller, and Quinn Hughes, but, you know... Bone Byram is also a left shot defenseman. Maybe OEL could jump to the right. I believe he has played the right side a little bit in his career, so I'm sure he could make that adjustment. Um, but that's another young defenseman that I think the Canucks are looking at. And obviously, Braden Schneider's name has come up as well. And yeah, that is a sore spot for this team. And it's been a sore spot ever since Jim Benning was the general manager. Outside of Quinn Hughes, he has never really been able to add a solid defenseman. I mean, OEL... If he didn't have the contract he had, yeah, you know, he is still a really good defenseman in this league. But, you know, they're looking to add, by all accounts, a young superstar, up-and-coming blue-chip prospect defenseman that can jump into the team either this year or next year. And those are some of the names that are being bantied about. And I'm all for it. Brock Faber out of the LA Kings system is another guy that I think is highly touted. He's a right shot defenseman. He's still playing in college, I believe. So it, you know, it's not like he'd be on the team this year and there's no, there's no guarantee he'd be on the team next year. He could play another year in college, but there's a few guys that the Canucks are rumored to be targeting. And Again, like anything, right? If if the price is right and you get the right return, I, I mean, I would trade anybody on this team. You know, if you could trade Pedersen for McDavid, I don't know one Canuck fan that wouldn't do that, right? 
Yeah, I mean, L.A. has a couple of guys as well. Uh, Brand Clark and Sean Dursey. I mean, Ty Smith in New Jersey is another name that you, you hear a, a lot about. Um, I know there's been talk with the Leafs with a guy like Sandine. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, And, I mean, there, there's a lot of different names out there. But, yes, it's nice to see that they're, they are targeting this because that is something that they desperately need. And, you know, I, is Jet Wu going to make it? I, I don't know. But, I mean, he's got to take some more time to simmer in the AHL regardless. But he's not a blue chipper. And the Canucks need to get a blue chipper in there. And that's part of the problem with, yes, you, you, you basically sacrifice first rounders to get JT Miller and Connor Garland. And I love those players. But those could also be young defensemen. And that's where a lot of Canucks fans get quite divided uh, about this. And, and there certainly was a lot of short-sightedness, that's a hard one to say, by the old management group. And, I mean, it's if you're moving a guy like Besser, because uh, I do think Besser, it sounds like more and more he's the one that's getting uh, mentioned in trade talks lately. Uh, but if you're able to get a young defenseman back, for sure. It really does sound like JT Miller. Uh, they're not talking as much about him. Like, and I mean, geez, I wonder if there's any kind of thought by the Canucks to, hey, we got to re-sign this guy. Would that be a mistake if you re-sign JT Miller? I don't think so. I mean, JT Miller has been incredible for ever since the Canucks acquired him, essentially, right? He's been the best player on this team, uh, far and away. Definitely the best forward on the team. Uh, just going back to the Brock Besser thing r- quickly, I, the one thing that kind of popped into my head today, strangely enough, is like I almost wonder if all this speculation and trade talk about Brock Besser in the media, I almost wonder if it's more posturing from the management group to try to get him to sign a long-term contract and avoid that qualifying offer of $7.5 million, right? Because it sounds like Besser wants to be here. He loves Vancouver. He's yeah. close with Petey. He's close with Hughes. It doesn't sound like he doesn't not want to be here. I think Bruce Boudreaux seems to be a big fan of him as well. And he has really, you know, upped his game since Boudreaux joined the club. So that's an option. I mean, you don't want to, if you're going to trade people, I mean, the other guy, and I know we've kind of talked about this a bit, but it, it to me, it really comes down to if you want to keep Miller, and I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it, but if you want to keep Miller, I think you have to look at trading a guy like Horvat. And I know his name has not been out there whatsoever, and he's one of the players that they haven't mentioned. At least the media hasn't mentioned as a guy that's name has been out there. But I, I think the way I look at it, you need to decide if you're keeping Miller or Horvat. And if you're keeping Miller, then Horvat's the guy that you should be looking to trade. Just my opinion. I mean, Boudreaux even had those comments this week that I think some fans kind of, you know, took a little too literal. But, you know, Boudreaux pretty much said that he's our leader. You know, Miller I'm talking about on and off the ice. I forget exactly Mm -hmm. what the quote was, but he was pretty much praising and saying that, you know, Miller is not necessarily the captain, but he's the leader of this team. And he's the guy that really mentors a lot of these young guys. We saw it in training camp this year where Miller was trying to really mentor a guy like Pod Colson, right? Yeah. And I mean, Bo is, he, I know a lot of fans have not been very impressed with him. And, and to be honest, there's some games where I don't really notice him uh, myself. I know as well at practice today, Miller and Boudreaux were having a long talk at the bench. And it does feel like, you know, Miller last year when the team had COVID was a guy who stepped up. It does feel like Miller is is certainly, if not a leader, the leader on the team. I mean, Horvat right now is tied for fourth on the team in scoring with Besser, but 
He's got 33 points in 52 games, uh, Bo Horvat does. Um, it's not lights out. It's the same. Besser, 33 and 51. Um, but they're tied for fourth on team scoring. I just, I feel like, I know we've talked about this before, but I feel like Bo Horvat, once he did what he did in the series against the Blues, we're like, okay, that's Bo Horvat unchained. That's that's what we got. And we haven't really seen that since then. No, and you know what? Throughout Horvat's career, and even look back to his junior time with the London Knights, like he has been a pretty dominant playoff performer. I mean, he scored that goal, I believe, to win the OHL playoffs for the London Knights in overtime with, I think it was like four seconds left. That goal essentially is what catapulted him up the draft rankings that year. And his first year with the Canucks, when we had that series against the Calgary Flames and Michael Furlan was running Repshaw all over the Canucks, uh, Horvat was arguably our best player. You know, there's there's a strong consideration to be that Horvat was one of our best players. And he, I believe he was a rookie that year, too. He was. And like yeah. you alluded to, you know, the, the Blue Series, he was he single handedly kind of took over that series for us. So we have seen these glimpses and. Obviously, you love guys that are playoff that can really up their game come the playoffs. I mean, I think of guys like Chris Drury was a guy that he, come playoff time, he always dominated. Even a guy like Willie Mitchell on the other side of things, you know, is like a really good shutdown defenseman when it came to playoff time. But I think with a guy like Horvat and, you know, what is next? I don't think he's going to get like a monster deal in the next contract, but, you know, he's probably going to get a bit of a raise. You need more consistency, I think, throughout the the course of a regular season. Now I know he does a whole bunch of other things like he, the face-offs. I mean, he's taken what 1200 face-offs or something crazy like that this year. Something ridiculous. Yeah. And you know, he's, he's, he's clipping at what, like 54, 55% on the year, which is super impressive considering how many face-offs he's taken. But I just, I think most Canuck fans want to see that more consistent play out of Bo, because like you said, Pete, there are games when he completely is invisible out there. And I also wonder if a part of it is just the line combinations and, uh, you know, uh, some guys just don't seem to have the right fit or chemistry with other people. I, I will say with all these guys, with Besser, Horvat, and Miller, the team doesn't have to make a decision right now. They they don't have to make a trade by the trade deadline with those three guys. Um, it, but it's going to be really fascinating to see what they decide. I mean, this fan base is just like, you ask... Yes, 10 different Canucks fans, and you'll get 10 different ideas on, on what the team should do with those three guys. Everything from trade all of them to keep all of them. It would be on the table. We should just blow it all up. If you're going to trade Miller, you may as well trade them all. It's like, no, you can afford it. Again, bring in some lower-end guys to, to bulk up the line. Look at how good the, the Mott line is being. We can we can go that way. And it, it's There's a lot of dead money still hiding down in the Canucks books when you really dig. I mean... Let's not forget that there's a couple of buyouts that account for $2.4 million on the books next year. The Luongo hit does come off the books, so we're actually going to be slightly cap positive between those two moves uh, from this year to next year. Uh, but there is a lot of there is still some wasted money. There's stuff that you have to figure out with guys on LTIR as well. Um, it's geez, I you know I I don't know. I go in. I don't know what the best thing to do is. Right now, uh, I feel like Besser and Horvat have both left me wanting more this year. Um, but I also think a lot of that kind of goes 
from the center ice position. I think when PD is not playing well, PD's supposed to be your your one A, your one B. I mean, depending on how you look at it. And when he's struggling, the wingers are going to struggle. And I think that's uh, there's a filter effect from that too. Now that PD's playing better, are we seeing we're seeing a bit more from from Brock at least? Um, but it's uh, I don't know what the what the best thing to do is right now. That's what's going to make it so fascinating. And that's why I'm also glad that this new group of managers has not made any decisions yet because it shows that they're really taking their time and really looking at everything right now because they know that whatever move they make is going to be a big move. It's going to have a huge impact on this team and a huge impact on this fan base. And they're immediately going to be put under the microscope right away, whatever they do here from all of this crazy Canucks fans. Yeah, and I will say this. I actually think the Canucks do have a little bit of pressure to make a decision on Besser because he has that 7.5 qualifying offer. So Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I agree. I don't think they have to trade but, in this deadline, but I think they have to make a decision on him sooner than a yes. guy like Horvat or Miller, and that is what could tip the scale in a guy like him having to get dealt now where Miller, they could hold out on wanting to trade him if they do indeed want to trade him and wait for the offer that really blows their socks off. Yeah, for sure. But I, I I guess all I'm saying is you don't have to do it by the deadline, but you certainly have to do it uh, in by the, the offseason. Yeah, the draft before you get to You cannot get to a position where you have to tender the qualifying offer. And I don't think it would get to that. I think if they want it, like you said, I think if, they, if he wants to stay, if the team wants him to stay, I think there's a deal to be had there where it wouldn't be a seven and a half million dollar cap hit. I think you'd be closer to six, six and a half in there. Um, but then it's, again, it's the question, like how how do you want to be allocating money? I, for me, if you have really good centers, it is hard for me to justify spending more in this cap age, more than $5 million on a winger. I just think that's kind of where you get the the top end of it. They, your best bet is to spend your money on your centers, your money on your blue line, and goalies still come in generally at a reasonable cap hit, unless you do something crazy like what Florida does. <laughs> yeah, and hey, I mean, they're having success, right? So Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, I do think that the Canucks have not been smart with their cap management over the past eight years. And I think that is changing. And I think that's why even a guy like Connor Garland, who, you know, is a really good productive player, they're they're even looking at options of getting rid of him. And I think that's just to kind of free up some cap and to give them a little bit more flexibility for what lies ahead with a guy like Miller, a guy like Horvat, and a guy like Besser all needing contracts in the next two years. And then Petey the year after that is up as well. And, you know, you bring up a really good point about all the dead money, Pete. And it's one of those things where you've got going into next year, sure, the Luongo uh, buyout or whatever cap recapture penalty comes off the books, but you've got Holtby. You've got that Halak bonus. You got Jake, who's still on the buyout uh, thing as well. So, you know, you have all those you have to deal with next year as well. Yeah, and and I think a lot of things as well. Like, I mean, if you look at, like, if you could find a way, if you were to move, like, Hamannick and Dickinson, if you find ways to make that work, that's more salary off the books than 
a JT Miller contract. So there's a lot of things. I think I, I really think that that middle bit, those kind of guys there, like if the Canucks could find ways to move like Hamannick, Poolman, Dickinson, maybe even Pearson, even though I, th- I think he's been playing well, like uh, kind of some of those guys. And you could maybe put Garland in there too because uh, he's got a, a, a decent term on his deal and maybe there's a trade chip. But it, it, maybe you package them together. It's like you want Garland? Well, you got to take Dickinson as well. And uh there's there's a lot of different ways to to make it work, but I'm I'm just really curious to see where it goes. I don't know. I I go I change I all, every week. I change what my mind on what I think they should do right now. But I'm uh, I, I'm right now. It's it's hard for me to see them making any big moves. Tyler Mott's the one that they got to make the decision on in the next 13 days, though. Yeah, and I'm sure the management group is the same position, right? Like one game, they're like, wow, this team looks like they're really clicking. There's a 7-1 victory against one of the top teams in the league, and then they lay an absolute egg against the New Jersey Devils. So I'm sure the management group, it's been hard for them to get a read on this team as well. But I do appreciate their patience, and I do appreciate the fact that they're taking their time to evaluate everything despite the fact that I really want to see something happen just because it makes great content for you and I. And I mean, I love trade deadline. I love the draft. I love speculating and like rumors. I'm one of those suckers that follows these bullshit anonymous rumor accounts. No, well, Eklund, Eklund's not really anonymous anymore, but yeah, I mean, I was, I, I mean, you're the guy who I think first told me about hockey buzz, right? Way back in the day. And there's some other ones who are even like probably worse than Eklund, but I like to follow them just for a chuckle and, you know, just to see what's out there. Um, so I do like that stuff, but I do think that the smart thing to do is to wait to, to, to evaluate. And again, if the right trade comes knocking on your door, if the day before the trade deadline, the New York Rangers come knocking on the Canucks door and are willing to part with the Braden Schneider or a Keandre Miller and a deal for a guy like JT Miller, I think you have to, really really consider it yep i mean that's the thing right i can't say you don't trade a guy until you know what the offer is um yeah i used to i used to use hockey buzz all the time before twitter really uh took off and now when uh if i see people using it i feel like talking to them like a wrestling fan it's like you know it's not real right it's not, <laughs> you know it, it's just like i it could just be me there it's not real like he's not really punching the guy or you know that right that but <laughs> But uh, yeah, I used to, uh, I used to follow that um, a lot. Well, Doug, we got one more episode coming up uh, before the trade deadline. Um, it's going to be a fascinating week, like you said, a seven-game homestand as well. This is really the season, and you got the trade deadline tucked in there as well. Um, man, it's going to be a real fascinating stretch here, and it starts um, tomorrow, I guess. When, well, when we release this against uh, the Habs, so. It's going to be pretty fun. Um, And with that in mind, Doug, I think we should take it into the free pour. All right. It's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I want to talk about something that I know you really like to do when you're in a foreign city, Pete. And it's something I definitely like to do when I'm in a foreign city. And that's record shop. And I have to say, I've been to a few different record stores here in Toronto, and there's been a couple of really good hidden gems. There's one called Cops just down on Queen Street, which is really cool. It's a small little record store, but they have some really cool vinyl in there. Cops with a K. And then there's a really cool record store. It's kind of the big one called Sonic Boom. 
and it's just on Spadina, and they got some really cool stuff in there. And not even just records, they have some really cool uh, music books about bands and autobiographies. They've got some really cool pins. The pins are a little bit overpriced, I would say, but there's some really cool pins. And they actually have really cool bags that you can actually travel with your records in, and they're like big, thick bags that you could probably jam 20 records in and just wear it almost like a a satchel, I guess. But uh, really great record collection in there as well. Very fair prices, I think, as far as the records go. But yeah, Sonic Boom, Cops. There's a few other ones that I've checked out as well. Um, I think there's what's called Small Stacks, which is kind of like a pancake-themed uh, record store, but yeah, man, I gotta, I gotta give sh- uh, kudos to the record stores here in Toronto, and I know that's something you've done on your travels, Pete, checking out cool record stores. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do in a new city. I think you get a real kind of idea how the city works, and every city kind of seems to have something there they specialize in. Um, I went record shopping myself this week over in uh, Vancouver on Sunday and just hit up uh, Red Cat and Neptune and bought a record at each of those. Um, I'm going to stick kind of with the music side of things, though, because I just wanted to talk about a docuseries that I've started watching, and I'm only two episodes in, but so far it is fascinating. And I'm not a fan of this person per se, but I used to be a huge fan of his production. Uh, it's the Kanye West docuseries Genius on, on Netflix. Um, I've watched the first two episodes and I love it. It's uh, It's been really good. It's really well done. I'm a sucker for any good music docuseries though. And I think this one is really interesting because uh, this guy has been documenting Kanye since like before he made it big. He's just started documenting him. Um, and is uh, kind of you're seeing all the stories through uh, the, this documentary that was filmed like you know 20 something years ago at the moment, and uh, it's just starting to make it big. But uh, like I mean, I was kind of introduced to Kanye through uh, uh, when I listened to Common, and I just really like he produced all the beats for for a lot of his records and uh, you know Jay Z stuff as well, and like just a whole bunch of other people uh, as just an amazing producer. And uh, anyways, I'm not, you know, I, I think Kanye's kind of nuts so now, but I'm really curious to see now how the rest of the series goes and uh, gets into that. But if you're a music fan or a hip hop fan uh, of any sorts, uh, I think you'd enjoy it. So uh, it's kind of surprised me. I just kind of put it on on a whim, but genius on Netflix. It's, uh, it's pretty good. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 107 is just about in the books. And uh, a couple of quick things as well uh, around the world of sports that we uh, we didn't talk about earlier. But, you know, we talked about Russell Wilson. But how about Calvin Ridley? Yeah, that's kind of a crazy story. I mean, he wasn't playing. He had taken that leave of absence from the Atlanta Falcons. And allegedly he had put down a $1,500 parlay bet. And... Again, some more news came out today. So I guess he went to like an actual like legitimate site that you go to. So it wasn't like he had like an illegal bookie. Because I think initial speculation, I saw like the Pat McAfee show yesterday when it first broke. There wasn't a lot of details. They assumed that maybe he went to an illegal bookie and the bookie couldn't afford to pay whatever it was he bet on. And so the bookie just ratted him out because he knows he can't gamble. But it turns out that wasn't what happened. It turns out he went to... Some betting site. I, I, I don't think it was DraftKings or um, 
uh, FanDuel or anything like that, but it was a, it was a pretty big uh, gambling site, and he used his own name, and he used his own ID, and I guess the NFL actually has partnerships with these websites to ensure, and I'm sure most sports do, have partnerships with these websites where I don't know if there's bots or some kind of software program that looks for anyone with the same details of players in the league, and essentially that's who he got found out. I, I, one of our friends in our football fantasy football chat said, uh, "This is like the worst bet of all time. Bets fifteen hundred yeah. and loses eleven million. Um, crazy story, <laughs> uh, but geez, yeah, that's uh, that, that's going to make Atlanta even worse. Um, Major League Baseball as well. Like uh, they're set to cancel more games. Like, man, I feel like I've seen this movie before. Like lockouts and I mean, baseball contracts have just gotten insane." But at the same day, I'm like, yesterday I was reading about how they're signing a deal with Apple TV to show Friday night games. It's like, I don't know what's going on with baseball, but there is something seriously broken with that league. Is Rob Manford the most hated commissioner in all of sports? I mean, I know Bettman's up there. I know Goodell's up there. I think Adam Silver in the NBA is probably the one that is liked the most, and most players really respect him. But, like, Manford's got to be, like, the most hated, right? It's a tough one. I think you're right about Silver out of the, the four. I mean, anytime Batman and, uh, and Roger take the mic, though, the, the booze rain down. But, man, this is just, <laughs> like, seriously for baseball. Like, come on. Like, we've seen this before. Let's, uh... Uh, well, we Manford's should. even Manford's even called the trophy. I forget what the trophy's called in baseball. He's even called it just a hunk of metal. Yeah, it's just like what? Like, like, dude, you're meant to be selling the game. He's gonna like rip off his jersey one day, and it's gonna be like a Russian flag or something on his chest. <laughs> and, like, just, just bringing it down. Baseball, man, get your shit together because uh, it's March and there is no spring training, and you're canceling games, and you're losing fans at a time when you can't really afford to lose more fans well that's just about it from us you can follow us on twitter i'm at pete underscore gas and do check out our playlist on spotify the cannot speak easy outro playlist this track is getting added to it as well give me a follow on twitter at doug ven be sure to follow the podcast on twitter at canuck speak as always thanks for listening Hasta luego.